Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Denver Broncos. This is the Broncos Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary and Broncos Wire editor, John Heath. Hey there, welcome into the show. It's our week 14 episode for the regular season. We're in December now, John. When the games start mattering a little bit more and you start to learn what kind of football team you have. And unfortunately with the Broncos, when it comes to playing the Chiefs, we know what we have, right? It's always that, oh, the Broncos played them tough, but oh, we were right in the game. But oh, we would have won the game if, right? It's always the same thing with the Chiefs. And unfortunately, we're here talking about yet another loss to the Chiefs. The same old story. Number 12 in a row, right? Yeah, it's super, super frustrating because... We talked about last week's podcast, the Broncos losing to the Chiefs. It wouldn't be the end of the world because they're not expected to beat them. And it's in Arrowhead. And even with a loss, you're still in contention for a wild card spot in the AFC because the AFC is so congested. So just the fact that they lost, that's not what bothers me so much. It's how they lost. Like you're saying, it's all the ifs, the what and the buts because they just shot themselves in the foot so much. And going back to Peyton Manning's last season – Basically, every year they have a really good defense and multiple times a year, at least once, like the defense was not at fault on Sunday. Like the defense shows up and does its job. Patrick Mahomes, he had no touchdown passes. He had like a 58 passer rating, the lowest of his career. Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, they had less than 50 receiving yards combined. So like the defense totally showed up and did its job. The Chiefs did not score a lot of points. If you take away the pick six that Teddy Bridgewater threw, and if you take away the field goal that special teams gifted them, the Chiefs scored 13 points. And, like, if you can't beat a team allowing 13 when your defense only allows 13 points, like, you're just not going to beat anybody. And, nope. it, and like, it's not just that it's any old team. It's Kansas City. Like, Kansas City's a good team. Kansas City is a team you struggled against so much. And, like, they've they've – they had a rough stretch this season, but now it's looking like they're right back in contention in the AFC for one of the top seeds. And they just they blow their opportunity because the offense is so incompetent. Like Javante Williams was awesome. But once they get down the red zone, they can't get anything done. Teddy Bridgewater, he's not protecting the ball well enough. And somewhat uncharacteristically, because he went like four games without a turnover, and then he, he had two turnovers in Kansas City. One of them was tipped. So it's not like that's totally – it was not like it was a bad decision. But there were also other passes that could have been picked. So I'm not really going to be like, well, I'm not really giving him credit for that one interception and saying it wasn't that big of a deal because there were other opportunities the Chiefs could have picked him off. So it just – Bridgewater wasn't good enough. The play calling wasn't good enough. And on special teams, like one, Caden Stearns, he's got to not be behind the gunner like that and give the gunner a chance to push him into a returner. And like Caden Stearns is a rookie, Tom McMahon. We talk about him all the time, the special teams coordinator. He's got to coach up Caden Stearns. So he knows to not put himself in that position. And Deontay Spencer, he's an experienced like veteran returner. He's got to not be fielding that ball deep in their own territory. Like they always say, if it's, you know, behind you, just let it go and hope for a touchback and we get pinned down, whatever. That's better than you getting creamed deep in our own half of the field and risking a, 
a fumble or something. So Spencer, he's got to not return that. Stearns, he's got to be more aware. And McMahon, the special teams coordinator, he's got to set his guys better up for success on special teams because basically every single week there's a special teams mistake. And that gifted the Chiefs three points. Like that just shows you – It shows you how good the defense played that the Chiefs got fantastic field goal or fantastic field position after that, and all they came away was a field goal. So it's just it's so frustrating to to be so close. Like it's the Chiefs weren't like some great unbeatable team. Like they are so beatable right now. Like we've seen this season team beat them, and like the Broncos, they should have been able to. They should have been in that game. And like for a lot of it, points wise, they kind of were, but it just didn't feel like they were because the offense is so incompetent. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Like, the defense did its job, and I was really confident in the defense coming in. I I thought if some of these other teams can draw up a game plan to hurt the Chiefs, like, with your secondary, your safeties, you could do the same thing. And the, and the Broncos did an amazing job of of limiting that. And, yeah, the, the side of the ball I was worried about was the Broncos' offense going against the Chiefs' defense because the Chiefs' defense had been hot. We talked about that last week, John, especially them getting pressure on the quarterback you know, the Broncos just, they turned around and handed the ball to Javante Williams. And, and we, we got to talk about him, like, future superstar, three-down bell cow running back, Javante Williams. Like, it, I mean, as we get going forward here, like, I don't know what's going to go on with Melvin Gordon here for the rest of the year, but it's going to be hard for the Broncos to ever take this kid off the field if he plays like that. Oh, yeah. like, he, is, he is awesome. Uh, the Broncos ran 72 plays in the game. The Chiefs only had 54, by the way. The Broncos ran 72 plays in the game, and Javante Williams touched the ball 29 times. <laughs> so, I mean, dominated after contact, rushed for 102 yards, caught another six ball for 70. He was unbelievable. But I'm, like, looking at, like, over 40% of your offensive plays went to Javante Williams, either through the air or on the ground, right? He was the guy. And when the Broncos found themselves in obvious passing situations, they were, they were smoked, right? I mean, the Chiefs were getting pressure on Bridgewater. He was running for his life. He was making mistakes, uh, throwing picks. It, it just wasn't good. And, and and I'm looking at like the play calling and the quarterback, and I'm like, why can't we get the ball to Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Tim Patrick? Right? Like where? Like your receivers in this game, John targeted 23 times, but only seven catches um, for 101 yards, scoreless yards. It's just not good enough for me. Like I I know Javante Williams is great, and he was having success, and the and the Broncos were moving the ball, running it. And they should feature him, but he can't be your only player gaining yards. Like, you have to find something else. You've got these three great receivers, and you can't get them the ball until, like, garbage time. It, that, that, for me, is frustrating, you know, week after week, but especially this one. Yeah, I'm not too worked up about how much of a workload Williams had because I've been pounding the table for him to, you, you have, know, feed Javante yes. Williams. And I'm not he was saying fed. Williams— He was fed this time. <laughs> He's not at this level yet, but I think when you have someone like an Alvin Kamara or Christian McCaffrey, like I'm not saying Williams is at that level, but when you have a back that is so special and like it's okay for them to be the bulk of their offense. So I'm not mad about him being featured because he moved the ball. They, They moved right up and down the field plenty of times. It was just like you're saying when they get in like a third down and have to throw or sometimes when they get in the red zone or at least on fringe of the red zone, they just weren't able to punch it in. So to me, that's just like an execution thing. I think a lot of it was a quarterback thing on Sunday. So I'm not mad that Williams was like the featured guy, but I get what you're saying. The other guys, when they're caught on, they got to step up. And it's not 
only Bridgewater because there was that one time when Bridgewater tried to throw a deep bomb to Sutton and Sutton like stopped running his route like three fourths of the way through. He must have just assumed he wants to get in the ball. And you just you can't do that. Like you have to always be ready for the possibility of the ball coming to you. And it was also a bad decision by Bridgewater because there was a safety there anyway, even if Sutton hadn't slowed down his route. But it like Bridgewater, it once and only on him. Like the receivers, the receivers didn't play a perfect game by any means. And uh, I don't know. I think it it just comes down to when you have someone like a Peyton Manning. When before Peyton Manning came to town, Tim Tebow was the Broncos quarterback, and him and Willis McGahee were like an awesome rushing tandem. Like they almost both rushed for a thousand yards in a single season. Like it was cool, but like it wasn't impractical because when you get to third and seven, you need to throw the ball. Tebow wants it good enough, and like Bridgewater, he's not as bad as Tim Tebow as a passer. I'm not saying that, but like the Broncos, they still had. Julius Thomas, they had Eric Decker, they had Demarius Thomas, they had those guys with Tim Tebow. And when you put a real good quarterback, not not just a real quarterback, but a very good quarterback in Peyton, suddenly Eric Decker, Demarius Thomas, Julius Tom, or uh, yeah, Julius Thomas, those guys are going off. And no Sean Marino, the running back, he's still productive. So I completely get what you're saying that the rest of the guys, they got to step up. And I think it just comes down to the Broncos. They got to get a franchise quarterback because unless you get someone that can spread the ball out and make the right decisions and push the ball downfield and just, they, they need a clutch quarterback. And like Teddy, he's fine, but we've talked about it over and over. He's limited. He is what he is. He's not a clutch quarterback. I think the moment may have got to him a little bit last night and he just, he couldn't distribute the ball well enough and Williams was all they had on offense. And it just, when you're playing a team like the Chiefs, even though they held the Chiefs to not that many points, you've got to be able to punch it in. And they just weren't good enough doing that. Yeah, I don't put it all on Teddy Bridgewater, but it was his worst game as a Bronco, right? Worst completion percentage, his, his lowest QB rating, two interceptions, one was a pick six. Uh, you know, Teddy tried to make the tackle this time, John, only this time he threw. <laughs> credit credit yeah, for that. <laughs> he threw Sorensen into the end zone, gave him a rocket boost, just shoved him right towards the end zone. Oh, man, Teddy, we need to work on the tackling drills, man. Uh, yeah, it, it was his worst game as a Bronco. But I think, you know, a lot of what you were just saying earlier is about consistency, right? The quarterback and the offense as a whole is not consistent. Like, they have to figure out how to consistently score points. Like, you can't score 30 against Dallas one week and then score 13 against Philly the next. And then go and score 28 against the Chargers and then score 9 against Kansas City the next week. Like, it's all over the place. They're inconsistent. They're just not scoring points at a consistent enough base. And I, I think everybody's on notice. The players, the quarterback, the play caller, Pat Shermer. I think play yeah. calling is a yeah. lot. Once we get – I know we're going to talk about this a little later in the podcast, but once you get down uh, near the Chiefs' goal line and it's like third and two and Javante Williams is running down their throat, like third and two, hand the ball to Javante Williams. Like worst-case scenario – Worst case scenario, he gains like one yard, and then it's a very manageable fourth and one. You can try to do a QB sneak. You can try to run. You can do a bootleg. You can roll out, like get Bridgewater moving and like send a tight end out on the flat or something. Like give yourself – set yourself up on like second and third down for manageable situations that don't put yourselves in holes. I feel like Pat Shermer so many times put them puts them in holes and Bridgewater is not the guy that's going to magically fix all that. Like I always go back to Peyton Manning just because that's the last good quarterback they had. And like they, Mike McCoy was their offensive coordinator, which is so funny that Peyton Manning helped Mike McCoy get like two 
uh, and Mike McCoy and Adam Gase. Adam Gase like got two head coach jobs after Peyton Manning. It was just awful. And Manning basically fixed all their mistakes. Not that Mike McCoy was absolutely awful, but like Gase, like CJ Anderson has said that when Gase was the offensive coordinator, Peyton Manning was the offensive coordinator. He just <laughs> ran the offense. Gase and, was like, a nightmare. <laughs> and not that like that's an extreme like Manning may have been one of the best quarterbacks ever to run an offense like that but Bridgewater he's just he's not the guy that's gonna be like oh okay you caught a bad play and now we're in a sticky spot and I gotta fix it like that's not something Bridgewater's gonna do until you have a real special quarterback you can't afford to be shooting yourself in the foot just like you know the player's execution is shooting themselves in the foot i feel like Shermer's play calling is putting them in tough spots and they're not able to dig themselves out of it all right well coming up our questions of the week it's going to include a, a a topic about a drive to nowhere the broncos had a drive to nowhere in this game we'll talk about that coming up next this is the typical sports book fantasy minute let's make this interesting interesting I'm Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays for week 14 of the fantasy football season. Quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, Pittsburgh Steelers at Minnesota Vikings. His two best fantasy games have come in the last three weeks, and while his arm isn't what it used to be, Big Ben can still remain efficient with short area passing and rack up a couple of touchdowns along the way. Roethlisberger has at least two touchdown passes in three of his last four contests, and Minnesota has given up three or more such plays in the last five games, including 296 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks to Jared Goff last week. Even Dallas Cowboys backup Cooper Rush torched his defense in week 8, and in the five games leading up to week 13, Minnesota's ranked 34.7% better than average for a quarterback to face. Carolina Panthers running back Chuba Hubbard versus Atlanta Falcons. The rookie's last game as a starter came in week 8 at Atlanta, in which he finished with 16.1 PPR points, his second best showing to date. The Panthers are not only without running back Christian McCaffrey for the rest of the year, but offensive coordinator Joe Brady was fired during the bye week. Hubbard should benefit from the newfound dedication to the running game, and he's a strong play number two in weekly formats. Minnesota Vikings wide receiver K.J. Osborne versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wide receiver Adam Thielen has an ankle injury and has been ruled out for this Thursday nighter. And Osborne is the next man up against a Steelers defense that will be without cornerback Joe Hayden once again. While that doesn't directly impact Osborne, it shifts the coverage around in his favor. Four times in the last five games, a wide receiver scored against the Steelers, and the position has averaged the 12th most yards per game during that window of operation. Osborne is a slightly risky, but certainly viable wide receiver three with number two upside. New York Giants tight end Evan Ingram at Denver Broncos. Ingram might as well have Tom the hot dog salesman throwing to him in week 14, but this matchup is so dang good that it's hard to get away from it. Quarterback Daniel Jones is unlikely to play, and his backup Mike Glennon suffered a concussion in week 13. That leaves Jake Fromm as the third stringer. In reality, is Fromm really that much worse, if at all, than Glennon? Probably not. LA has allowed tight ends five touchdowns in the last 22 catches, which is solidly the easiest matchup in that metric. Play Ingram as a flyer for a cheap touchdown. The playoffs will be upon us in week 15. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, information, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right. It's that part of the show where we do our questions of the week. Three questions for John that he's not really prepped on. 
So here's question number one for you, John. I mentioned the Broncos drive to nowhere. Here it is. The Broncos went for it on six fourth downs in this game, but they did it three times during a 20 play drive in the second quarter that got them zero points. <laughs> 20 play drive, uh, no points. That is demoralizing for a team, isn't it? And, and that's what happened to the Broncos. They went for it on a fourth and one from the Kansas City 46. They went for it on a fourth and seven from the Kansas City 42. They uh, converted both of those, but then on a fourth and two from the Kansas City 8, that's where the drive ended with 112 left in the half. Obviously, the alternative there would have been a chip shot field goal that could have made it 10 to 6 instead of 10 to 3. So, agree or disagree with the Broncos' aggressive mindset on fourth down, and maybe especially on that decision to go for it on fourth and two and not kick the field goal, John? What do you think? Well, I'm kind of going to be a little bit on the fence, and I know that's totally cheating, but like uh, the first two, I wasn't upset about, especially the first one is short yardage. When it's it was like less than a yard, and I feel like that's a very high percentage to be able to pick up, and you're near midfield, so I was like, okay, it's a high percentage, yeah, go for it. And then the second one, I wasn't necessarily being like, oh, of course you go for it, but I got it in the moment. I was like, okay, you're being aggressive, you're not quite in field goal range, you're playing the Chiefs, okay, sure, yeah, go ahead, go for it. But then when it came to the third one, I was like, okay, now it seems like we're pushing our luck a little bit, and like you said, it's a chip shot field goal. Like this, this is a very, very likely that Brandon McManus is going to be able to kick this field goal. Yes. And that makes it a 10, six game. And then they opted not to do it. And then they don't pick up the fourth down. And I know hindsight is 2020, 20, but even before they opted to go for it, I was like, man, I don't know. I feel like you're kind of pushing your luck here and you're, you're leaving points on the board. And then they go into halftime uh, instead of it being 10, six, it's 10, three. And at ha- uh, halftime, Vic Fangio, he told NBC that you can't beat the Chiefs with field goals. A- and they repeated that on the broadcast starting the third quarter. And I was like, yeah, like in theory and generally speaking, I agree you can't beat the Chiefs with field goals. But in this game, when your defense is playing so well, like I rattled off those stats, how they were limiting Mahomes, they were limiting Kelsey, they were limiting Hill. Like when your defense is playing that well, everything adds up. And I know like, shoulda, coulda, woulda, yada, yada, yada. Like I know like hindsight is twenty twenty, but just if they kick that field goal and it's 10-6 and maybe they feel a little better about themselves, maybe Spencer's not so desperate thinking he has to return and make a play. You know, maybe that fumble doesn't happen on that punt return because maybe Spencer doesn't even try to field it and say it's 10-6 and the, the Chiefs aren't gifted that three points. And then maybe if it's a four-point game and the Broncos are in field goal range, maybe they don't go for it on fourth down and Teddy Bridgewater throws a tip pass that's a run back for a touchdown the other way on a pick six. And if they kick a field goal there, at that point, the game would have been like 13 to nine. And again, they'd still be trailing, but like 13 to nine, he's like, we can't beat them with field goals. And I, I think, you know, your defense is playing so well, just take the points, keep yourself alive in the game. And then, you know, Javante Williams, he scored a touchdown late in the game, and there's a little bit of garbage time. The Chiefs are playing a little bit of prevent defense, but even still, like, if you're, like, staying in, like, within four points or something, like, they could have been with a field goal before halftime, like, maybe Williams still gets his fourth quarter touchdown, and maybe that puts you ahead by, like, a field goal. And say the Chiefs, say the Chiefs do get a field goal, like, not from that punt return, but just at some point. Like, if Javante Williams gets a touchdown, if they get a field goal there, if they get a field goal instead of going for it on fourth down on that pick six, like, it's a tie ball game in the fourth quarter. I know, I know, it's like, coulda, shoulda, woulda, you know, I, like I tweeted something along these lines on Twitter and uh, some people weren't happy about it. And like, I know it's like revisionist history. I know we can't change what happened in like 
I'm, I'm really reaching with all this. But my overall point is when your defense is playing so well, when it's a close game, when it's a low-scoring game, I would have been absolutely fine with taking the points and kicking a field goal there. My gut actually tells me to agree with Fangio on the, his take about, you know, you can't kick field goals and beat Kansas City because, you know, as a Patriots fan, it kind of reminds me of when teams would come to Foxborough, settle for a bunch of field goals, and you just knew Tom Brady was going to counter with touchdowns, and th- those teams are, had zero chance at all. Zero. So I kind of agree with Vic Fangio, but to your point, is it the same Chiefs team that we've seen? No, that there's something going on with this Chiefs team. They're not the same juggernaut as we've seen. But again, I, I think going forward on fourth and two from the Kansas City eight, it was very aggressive. I don't want to kill the decision to go for it. What I kill them for is the play calling. Like they they pass the ball on third and two, and then they run it on fourth and two, right? So the handoff goes for negative yardage, and it's like, what are, what are we doing? And it, didn't even, and it didn't even look like they were on the same page on that fourth down play, right? Yeah, there was miscommunication. Yeah. That was real bad. Something was going on there. So you should have flipped that script. You should have ran it on third and two, and then hopefully it's fourth and short, or maybe just get the first down outright. So I think if, if I'm a Broncos fan, I'm pissed at the play calling in that situation more than I'm pissed about the decision to go for it. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And I think all year Broncos fans have been upset with Pat Shermer. So we're really preaching to the choir. No one's yep. listening to this being like, no, you guys are wrong. Pat <laughs> Shermer is doing a good job. I, but it just, I think... Even though Shermer's the one calling the plays, I feel like it kind of still falls on Fangio a little bit because he's the one that's been sticking with Pat Shermer. He's been his guy. Even Tom McMahon, like Vic Fangio inherited him, but he's had him for like going on three seasons now. And it's not just this year that the special teams have been bad and they've had, you know, they've allowed kickoff returns. They've allowed punt returns. They've had their own mistakes on their own returns. And it's just Fangio will not, move on from either Shermer or McMahon. And it's like, I think that could be part of Fangio's downfall. Like it could, he could end up getting fired. And then obviously his staff, most of them at least would get fired as well. So I'm just like, I don't know, Fangio. I think you might be a little too stubborn sticking with your guys because it just, it hasn't been good enough. And maybe, maybe in-house candidates wouldn't be much of an improvement, but at some point you got to try it. You got to see if we can get something better because it just hasn't been good enough. All right, question number two is an MIA question. Where's Cortland Sutton? Where, where's yeah. Cortland Sutton, John? What happened to him? Here's his last five weeks. Two receptions, 15 yards. Two receptions, 17 yards. Two receptions, 29 yards. One reception, nine yards. Two receptions, 40 yards. So that's nine catches for 110 yards, no touchdowns combined in his last five games. I mean, it's great to have Cortland Sutton signed and under contract, but who do you blame? Is it Shermer? That doesn't know how to get him the ball. Is it Teddy Bridgewater who can't? He doesn't have a good connection with Sutton because, or is it on the player? Is it on Sutton himself? Because we've seen him have games this year where he's had more production than he's had in his last five weeks combined, right? We've seen him have a nine catch, 159 yard game. We've seen him have a seven catch, 120 yard game. He's had single games where he's had more production than the last five weeks combined. So what's going on with Cortland Sutton? I, I think it's a combination of things. I think when he had those two big games, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was when Jerry Judy was sidelined. Yeah, and one was against he, Jacksonville. I think he kind of stepped up in the in the moment. And Bridgewater, you know, uh, when you don't have Jerry Judy, I think he kind of leans towards Sutton a little bit. And now with all three of them back, I don't think he necessarily has a favorite. So they all kind of take a hit a little bit because there's three mouths to feed and only so many passing attempts to go around, especially when they have a good run game. And especially when your quarterback, you know, he's not, 
Bridgewater's never been a guy like I think he has 16 touchdown passes right now and that's a career high and like we're in like week we're going on week 14 or whatever and like that's that's not a huge number and he's never thrown more for that in his entire career in a single season so I think some of it is just Bridgewater he's not a guy that's gonna put up huge passing numbers some of it I think is a little bit of Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick take away some of the passing opportunities and I think some of it falls on Sutton like I mentioned earlier last night that one, it was like a deep post and just shortly after his cut, he just started like jogging and the ball had not even been thrown yet. And he, he just like quit on the route. And I just think he thought, well, this is not coming to me. I cleared out this guy. He's dumping it down to whoever underneath, but like, you just can't be assuming like that. And I haven't watched like the film of all his routes and all his recent games but I wonder if maybe that has happened in some other scenarios maybe maybe his heart's not quite in it like maybe he's not feeling quite a hundred percent even though he had those few games maybe he was still going coming back from his knee injury a little bit maybe it's bothering him a little bit I don't know maybe he's feeling like a little down because he hasn't been involved so it's hard to stay engaged like if if he's putting up so little numbers maybe he just checks out a little bit and I'm reaching again I do that a lot I like I'm trying to think like I really don't know what the problem is I think it's a it's a combination of things going on and hopefully they're able to get it sorted out and I think it comes down to, again, I really think if they get a franchise QB next year, I think that's going to make a lot of their woes go away. I don't think we're going to be saying, why is Corlin Sutton not posting numbers if if someone like Aaron Rodgers is their quarterback? Now, I agree with that 100%, but for this year, the big question is, does Cortland Sutton make my playoff roster in fantasy? Because I've been holding on to him, but it's it's looking dicey. Yeah, it's looking dicey. Might have to cut him loose. Yeah, yeah. Might, might have to cut Cortland Sutton loose, which is, uh, you know, I thought he was going to be a nice little depth player for me, but uh, maybe not. Okay, question number three, our weekly playoff pitcher reset. We have to do this, John, because the Broncos keep telling us that they're still in the playoff hunt and that everything's right in front of them. And they're probably right if they win all their games. Buy or sell the Broncos' status as a playoff team entering week 14. Do you think they're in right now? Do you think they hate, they're going to ultimately get in the playoffs in the AFC? What do you think? No, I wouldn't pick them to make it because I think this Lions game, they better win that. But the Bengals, like the Bengals are similar to the Broncos that they've been a little bit up and down this year, but they still have a better record than the Broncos. And I think overall, I at this very moment, I think I'd call them a better team. Uh, so the Bengals game, it's hard to say they win that. And then you got to play the Chiefs again. Even though it's at home, it's tough to win that. The Chargers are, looked really good on Sunday, and they're going to have extra motivation to beat you again. And the Raiders, even though they haven't been that hot this year, they already beat the Broncos this year, so clearly they're capable of doing that. And that doesn't mean I expect the Broncos to lose all those games, but it's just it's hard for me to expect them to do better than maybe splitting those games. And I don't think – because – the Broncos are still a couple games back from the wild card teams. They basically have, like you said, they basically have to win out. I think they might be able to drop one game and and squeak in with one loss uh, in the remaining games. But uh, I just I can't see them doing that. I, they'd have to like sweep their division opponents and beat the Lions and maybe lose to the Bengals or you know like beat the Bengals beat the Raiders and Chargers and lose to the Chiefs. Like it, it's possible, but I, I just can't predict that happening. I, I'm not confident in it. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm a no as well. And here's my negative take of the week. Why is a Broncos fan? Would you want the team in the playoffs? Right. That's, that's my question. Why would you want it? I mean, great. It's fun and all it's fun to be in the playoffs as a fan. It's great to have our team in the playoffs and to have a game on wildcard weekend. I get that. 
in all seriousness. But what do you get out of it, right? Do you have a young quarterback who would benefit from the experience? No. You know, none of us none of us want Teddy Bridgewater under center again next year. And do you have a team that could get hot and win, you know, win road playoff games and make a Super Bowl push? No. I don't think the Broncos are that team. I think you'd you'd probably make the playoffs and, and get bounced in the first weekend. And I, I just think only bad things could happen, John, if you make the playoffs this year. Uh, number one being that Vic Fangio is probably most likely to keep his job for 2022, and you know how I, I'm rooting for that to I'm rooting for that to go the other way. So I think if the Broncos make the playoffs and Vic Fangio is around for another year as the head coach, I don't know if I'm in for that. He could stick around and coach the defense if he wants. I love him as a defensive guy, but the head coach thing, I'm yeah, no, I, I want to move on for Vic Fangio. So I'm I, I'm rooting for them not to make the playoffs because I think it's better for the organization uh, to wait until next year. How about that yeah, for a take? I- they're in such an annoying spot. They're in like football purgatory because they yep. they're not quite good enough for the playoffs. And like you're saying, if they make the playoffs, they're not going anywhere. But they're also not quite bad enough to get a high draft pick. Like they're hovering right around 500 all year. At this very moment, they are 500. And that's going to be like uh, the 15th overall pick in the draft. So that's like right in the middle of the pack. It's just I, I completely understand what you're saying. In theory, like I would rather tank and have like the seventh overall pick in the draft than make the playoffs and draft like uh, what is it, twenty fourth or something, and yep. get bounced in the first round. But they're not going to tank, right? They're just not going to do that. So I can't, I can't root for that because it's just not happening. And it, you know, you just, it's it's hard as a fan to root for your team to lose. So I, I just, I can't really bring myself to do that. But I understand what you're saying. Like, I, I'm not. N- I guess I'm still holding out hope for the playoffs just because I'd rather I'd rather cling to that possibility and cling to the possibility of them making a run and like their defense having a really good game, their run game carrying the offense in the playoffs. Like I don't think it's happening. I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's practical, but I I guess I'd rather just hang on to that than call for them to tank at this point even though Logically, I, I understand completely what you're saying. Now, just just to be clear, I did not say the word tank, John. You brought up the tank. I mean, I'm <laughs> okay, anti-tank. I'm anti-tank. I'm also anti the Broncos making the playoffs. I want them to play out the string, but I just want the math not to quite work out for them at the end. That's kind of where I am with that. So, uh, all right. It could be worse, though, for the Broncos. It could be worse. Yes, they are stuck in, like, NFL no man's land. I agree with you 100%, John. But it, they could be the Lions. They could be the Lions, right? It's the, the Lions are still celebrating their first win of the year. I think they're still having a party right now over in Detroit. So that's the Broncos' next opponent, Broncos-Lions. We'll get into that one and make a prediction against the spread right after this. This is the Typical Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bed Slipping Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my handicap and homie, Nathan Beagle, to break down this week's Monday Night Football game between the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Cardinals favor two and a half points and the total sitting at 51 and a half. I'm on the Cardinals minus two and a half here because they have the better quarterback and the better defense. And this line, this game is priced as if these teams are are even even on a neutral field, whereas I think Cardinals are favored or should be favored on a neutral field. So I'll take them laying two and a half at home. Nate, how are you betting the Rams-Cardinals game? All right, so both teams rank in the top 10 in opponents passing yards per game, yet they love to throw the ball. The Rams are averaging under 24 points per game versus teams with top 10 pass defenses. Combine it all, and I think the under 52 looks good. 
That was your Tipico Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See Tipico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, John. Broncos are seven and a half point favorites at home against the Lions. Seven and a half points. And I saw that line this morning on Tipico, and I actually, it gave me pause, right? You look up the Lions, their last four weeks, 16-16 tie at Pittsburgh, 13-10 loss at Cleveland, 16-14 loss at home to Chicago on Thanksgiving on that short week. And then, you know, last week's awesome 29-27 walk-off win at home over the Vikings. So, it feels like it's an easy game for the Broncos, but you know what? I don't think it's going to be an easy game, and I'm not super eager to uh, back the Broncos as plus touchdown favorites right now. Uh, I just, I'm just not. You know, I just I think the Broncos win the game, but seven and a half gives me pause. Like, why don't you talk me through this? Should I should I back the Broncos at this kind of number? It's a big number. No, I I wouldn't feel confident <laughs> about seven and a half at all. I completely agree with you. I think just when you look at it, they tied the Steelers, and of course, like. A tie is not as good as a win, obviously, but it's better than a loss. And the Broncos lost to the Steelers, and they lost to the Ravens only on a last-second record-breaking field goal. Like The only thing between the Ravens and the Lions that week was the longest field goal in NFL history. And and don't forget, the Ravens converted a fourth and 19 on that drive. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Freaking Lions. And the Ravens beat the Broncos, and I don't think even delusional Broncos fans, I don't think they would say the Broncos are better than the the Ravens right now. And then the Ravens, they had, or excuse me, the Lions, they had a two-point loss. They had a three-point loss. They had a two-point loss. So say those field goal games, say that went the other way and the Lions won those games. And say, you know, the Ravens missed their record-setting field goal and say the Lions beat the Steelers instead of tie them, right now they'd have the exact same record as the Broncos. And again, it's more of coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, I, I know, I know. It's like the Lions are not as good as the Broncos. I'm not saying they are, but I'm just not so sure that the gap is as big as it looks on paper. Like the Broncos are a better team. Like who knows? Maybe they'll come out and stomp them like they stomped the Jets. It's very possible. But I don't think we should take that for granted. Like, anything can happen in the NFL. The Lions, they've had a lot of close games. They just got their first win, and they're feeling good about that. I, I picked the Broncos to win this game, but by seven and a half points, I think that's a really big spread. I wouldn't feel comfortable about that at all. Like, Denver might win this game by three or four points. Yeah, you look at the stats. The Lions, 29th in the league, John, in yards allowed per play. So, defensively, <laughs> they... That could help the Broncos' offense. That's been kind of inconsistent. The Lions also rank in the bottom third in pass rush win rate. What that means is that they don't get to the passer. They don't get home a lot when they rush the passer. They're one of the bottom teams in the league at that. So I look at that, and it's like I feel like the Broncos should be able to move the ball, and when Bridgewater drops back to pass, he won't have guys right in his face. He won't be running to the sideline and throwing the football up in the air like a punt, you know, out of bounds like he does. It's just like, oh, my God, Teddy. You know, like maybe that'll stop against this team. So I have... A lot of faith that the Broncos will be able to move the ball. I think they're going to win this game at home. Uh, but again, I'm passing on the money line, the Broncos money line, because the price just isn't there. It's minus 400. And it's just not a good price. And the spread worries me because the Lions may be losers. But as we've been talking about, they play teams tough. And they certainly have over the last month. So let's look at the total. Maybe the total is where we place our bet, right? 41 and a half. It's a very low line. But these two teams love to run the football, right? Over the last three weeks, Denver... 
They've rushed the ball, John, on 44% of their plays over the last three weeks, and Detroit has rushed it on 42.5% of the time. Both of these teams are in the top 15 in the league over the last month in rushing play percentage. You know, look at me going into my analytics. Um, <laughs> that makes me like the under, right? So maybe after Bridgewater's poor performance, maybe the Broncos, they watch Bill Belichick on Monday Night Football only, only pass the ball three times, John, and they say, let's just go in there and run it. We don't have to pass. We're just going to run the ball. No pick sixes can happen if we just run the ball. So maybe that's what happens. Maybe both teams are out there running it and the under hits. So maybe I would bet the uh, bet the under small, like one unit. What do you think? I'd be okay with the Broncos only throwing three times because the the Lions, they, I think they're fifth worst in the NFL against the run. And we just saw even without Melvin Gordon, you know, Javante Williams is perfectly capable of running down a team's throat. So they're, they, they better be able to run on the Lions. And the Broncos at times, like in that Eagles game and the Ravens game, there have been times this season when the Broncos themselves have struggled against the run. So I think the Lions, I don't know if DeAndre Swift's going to get back this week, but um, uh, their other back is also perfectly capable. So I think the Lions are going to be able to run the ball too. And so I'm with you that it would probably be a low-scoring game. They're probably both going to eat up a lot of clock when they're on offense. And I think I, I did the math, and it was something like 40 and a half combined points for them. If, like, the Broncos games – the Broncos were only, like, 38 points a game. Their opponent's score and their score and the Lions were something like 42, and it averaged out to, like, 40 and a half. I, that may be wrong what I'm saying. But together, they were something like 40 and a half. So I, I think you might be there. Um, that It might come in the under. But just overall, I'd just be kind of worried about this game in general. I think I might – stay away from this game and i'm sorry to say that because i know i've said that before but it just it it makes me a little uneasy i feel like some people are going to be too confident in the broncos ability to run away with this game i'm not totally convinced of that i think you know it it has the makings of being one of those weird games where anything could happen yeah it's it's an uncomfortable spot it is because you know the lions are are just they're not good but they're not like but they're tough and they're they're pesky and they kind of hang in there and and when you're betting a spread like seven and a half, there could be a backdoor cover, garbage time, something, something like that could happen. So it is an uncomfortable spread uh, for sure. But you know the Broncos, like I said earlier, there's a pattern, John. You know, if one week they suck on offense, the next week they're great. It's been a pattern, one after the other. So this week they're going to score thirty, um, which which, which is a <laughs> good. I'll take my, it. Yeah, I'll take it. It's not good for my uh, my under bet, but um, you know you never know if they follow the pattern. The Broncos uh, should put up some points. They should just win this game. It, it could be ugly, but I think they win the game. Uh, for John, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us. Broncos fan, we appreciate you. Uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button for us. And we will catch you next week after Broncos Lions. Talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.